The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your host. We welcome our online listeners this morning. Those of you who have been following our miniseries, you know that we've been doing a miniseries on uh, universalism. And one of the hot topics that are in Christendom today, from the exchange life all the way over to the Catholic Church, is universalism. There's comments that are coming out in the press almost on a daily basis of uh, tackling this whole issue of all pathways leading to one God. It used to be that Hinduism was the primary religion tagged with these multiple paths leading to one God, and that is not true anymore. The universalists are politicians, the universalists are pastors, the universalists are followers, and the universalists are certainly involved in the money exchange system that is in the world today. So can you imagine, just think about the possibility of getting the entire world led by just a small group of people. You know, a one-world governance system, you make one decision and it gets to all countries within, within hours. And you have each of those sub-governments making decisions policy-wise to get something changed. If you could somehow imagine that there would be that kind of system that is within the world, there are people that are literally walking our sidewalks outside this building that are of the belief that would be the wisest thing to do. So why couldn't we have that for all of our churches? Not just in governance. And so that's kind of what is happening in the religious area of life is that many Churches, both uh, Christian and non-Christian, are moving in the direction of universalism. So today we're going to be uh, talking about the idea of Christianized universalism. So we need to really answer the question, have we bought into this universalism in any degree? Or are we resisting this movement that is happening within the church. So let's just break that down, and we're going to start out with our quote for the, the day. And this quote is by Universalist Carl Seberg. Many literature people are very familiar with this gentleman. He was a very famous poet and writer. He orchestrated his writings in such a way that they were very fun to read, and he left you with the taste in your mouth that conservative right-wing churches are messing things up. His whole mission was to uh, bring the church up to date. So here's his quote. What Clarence Russell Skinner was doing for his time, and 
challenging us to do for our time is, is to continually reshape the churches that we have inherited, whether as ministers or as lay people, so that they can face up to the new challenges and opportunities of the days that lie ahead. We must continue the kind of work that Skinner made central to his life's ministry, always building a new kind of church, always reaching out for a vision of the church that lies just beyond the grasp, but with hard, dedicated work we can conjure into being. We can bring this into being. So this statement that was made in the past is what we are experiencing in the present. You have leaders making a statement that we need to bring the church up to date. We need to bring the church into our modern culture. Well, then you have to look at the modern culture. Modern culture says gay marriages. Modern culture says, you know, use marijuana for medical uses. Modern culture, and the list goes on and on. So how in the world do you merge those two? Well, they are being merged. There are churches that support the use of marijuana. There are states that have legalized it. There, are, there is a nation that is going to mandate it. Same thing with gay marriages. It just got mandated on a federal level. So how's the church going to deal with that? Do we do what Carl says in that we got to kind of recondition, reconstruct the church so that we're not resisting universalism, but rather buying into some of it or even all of it? The problem with buying into pieces of universalism is when you digest one piece, you've been poisoned. And that's, that's an, old, an old technique that has been used probably since Adam, is it only takes a drop of poison to do the job. And once a church begins to nibble on universalism, it literally infects the entire system. So we have been showing you little video clips of the universalists and what they have been believing and preaching. And today I want to show you a video clip, some stuff that's coming out about their political campaign. This ad has not hit the news yet. It's not on television yet that I know of, but it's going to be. Here's their view in regard to conquering the world of policy. You would think they'd leave it alone in the church. That's not their mission. The church is not their mission. Today, the country faces a choice. A choice not just between candidates, but a choice about war, the economy, reproductive rights, and marriage equality. From now into November, those who are asking you to make those choices will do so by using an unprecedented amount of negativity. In the coming months, we can expect to hear this from every television, newspaper, and website we see. In a political culture defined by fear and hate, for one side to be right, the other side has to be wrong. They become more than the opponent, they become the enemy. As this rhetoric level rises, we tend to forget what we're fighting for and only concentrate on who we're fighting against. You might ask, how did we get here? 
That's an important question. But a more important one is, how do we get past this? What does a better system even look like? And how do we get there? If fear and hate are poisoning our country, what is the antidote? Love. Love based not on some cynical partisan desire to find an edge, but coming from our hearts and our beliefs. We are standing on the side of love, an interfaith group sponsored by the Unitarian Universalist Association, but including like-minded individuals of all faiths. You know the religious right. Well, we're the religious left. You might not have heard as much about us, but that's about to change. We've always had strong values, and we're tired of often hateful and divisive talk having a monopoly on the term religion. We believe that love is not a weakness. Love is not something you compromise. Love is a gift from the Almighty, and no loving God would give someone such a gift just to punish them for having it. Because it's not just about having love, it's about living love. Love, whether they were born on the same side of town, the wrong side of the tracks, or the other side of the world. Love, even if they might not look like us, pray like us, talk like us, or love like us. Love is part of being human, and no one should be dehumanized just because of who they are. Because when the most important thing goes from who's wrong to who's been wrong, the conversation changes dramatically. And once that change has been made, it spreads. Suddenly, it's not about fighting, it's about faith. It's not about who your friends are, it's about who your family is, your faith family, your human family. It's about remembering that what makes people different is a lot smaller than what makes them the same. It's about turning a cheek and lending a hand. It's about lowering your voice and elevating your conversation. It's about love and the power of love to overcome our differences and make the world a better place for all of us. It's about treating people as people. And once you get to know people as people, it makes all the difference. So this November, amid the fear and hate, remember the one thing that can truly make a change. The one thing that can bring clarity to our disagreements and justice to the oppressed. Take a stand, but never forget what side you stand on. And when someone asks for your vote, stand with love. Now, why would one of the most powerful organizations in the world put out an ad like that? So if you're going to vote... Vote love. Shannon's right. There's there's someone being set up. May not be this election, but it's coming. They're not quitting. There's four major websites worldwide from these people. One of them is the Illuminati. They have the exact same symbol. They're saying the exact same thing. The best way to conquer the world is to get countries to, or a people, to fight against each other. So they fund both sides. So this video of two candidates fighting each other using hatred, whereas what hit the news, even World Magazine, I just went in and dug up a little more research on it, is uh, Hillary coming back from, from Europe with four other possible candidates for presidency in the same meeting. Of course, we don't know what's being told to these candidates in these meetings because it's a secret society. But I know that I know that they, they literally come against each other for a purpose. And sometimes it's pre-established. So this whole video thing of coming, coming against the ones that come at each other versus someone stepping up saying, isn't it all about love, accepting each other, blah, 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 blah. And of course, 
That's what the Antichrist says, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Someone asked one of the Rothschilds how they could fund Germany, which is historical information now, how they could fund Germany and Hitler to extinguish Jews when he is a Jew, Rothschild. And there's rumors that Hitler was a Jew. Well, that tiny little piece about what happened in 1740 with this king forcing conversions to Judaism is what's kept secret because they're not real Jews. They're Zionists. It may sound conspiratorial and you can and you can hide it under that label but I'm telling you they're not going to. They're going to move aggressively because of our passivity. And that message you just heard makes you feel very passive. The only solution to listening to this video is to go passive, not judge anyone, not, not, nothing's right, nothing's wrong. It's, it's passive. And if they're on a world mission and when she says, you know, you haven't heard much about us, but you will, is an understatement. They have their own lobbyist. They are wealthy, wealthy people. And as I read, the Universalist Church is growing faster than ever before. Because people are tired of the right-wing faith people. Well, let's talk about those right-wing faith people. So when we ask the question, how in the world is it possible to, to take Christ... Christianity and blend it with all those other gods. I mean, how is that possible? You have to actually say exactly what the Muslims say. That Jesus was just one of the great prophets. Buddha was one of the great prophets. And even if, even if the, the blanket does come off the, the Rothschild family, they're just one of the prophets. You can't judge us. It brings Christ down to a level, as the video showed, if, you've no, if you noticed or not, when they popped up the little characters, the one character popped up and the other one inched up to be equal. It equalizes all gods, or it won't work. Because any religion, as they would call it, that has a god higher than their gods needs to be dealt with. And it is interesting that of all the churches that are joined the Unitarian movement, into what Christianity is not one of them. They are the ones that are considered right-wing faith people because we say Jesus Christ is God. So let's do a quick review here. Proper theology 
is the consideration of God first as a person. And secondly, his work. And it has to stay in that order. If you assault that order, that God is God, he is the personhood of love, he is the personhood of Godhead, he, he is the I am. Then there's the work he wants to accomplish in what he created. So universalism assaults this in its most critical place. And that is God is God, the Holy Spirit's God, and Jesus is God. Trinity. So whereas oneness universalism speculates deity deep down and within humanity, the study of religious doctrines, which is the uh, soterological universalism, speculates that humanity inherits the deity of God from birth. Since we're created by God, since Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, we are now born because of God's creation into the deity of God. We're all equal. Covenant universalism binds God into a legal obligation to keep his alleged joint covenant agreement and the Calvinist universalism these are ones we've already covered, forces God into a non-randomness implementation of the decree to save all men in Christ. Every single person born is born into this universal religion. That's it. That's all you have to remember. If you want to take on a universalist, I don't care if they're an exchanged lifer or if they're over there in the, in the ecumenical Catholic Church, that's their basis. Even the religious institutions like Catholics and Lutherans and Reformers who baptize children, do you know why they sprinkled water on children? Because they know. The theological leaders know you're born going to hell. And that bothered them and they couldn't get beyond it. So what they did is they brought baptism, which was to be an expression after you got saved, and received the indwelling life of Christ, and they brought it all the way down to these little babies. So what people did is they ran to the church as soon as they could to get these babies sprinkled with holy water that they got out of a faucet, but then prayed over it, and then sprinkled it on the babies. So if anything happened to those babies, they went to heaven. I'm here to tell you they still practice that in the Universalist Church. And I would like to sit down with that pastor from Albuquerque and say, why do you do this? Are you afraid the child's going to go to hell? Why do you do this? What are you afraid of? I thought you were a Universalist that believed as soon as you take your first breath, you are part of the deity. See, I don't know what to say. Because deep down inside, God created all of us to know we're all going to hell without Jesus Christ. There's a sense within every human to know we need spirituality. Now the question in how we get it is a different question. So even a lot of their practices are very odd. Their practices are confessions. 
I'll bet you I could sit down with that pastor from Albuquerque, the one that we saw the video on, and ask her where her torch symbol came from. She won't be able to tell me. I'd be shocked. And if she could tell me, she's in deeper than most people know. So they practice things that really are confessing that they agree more with the right-wing people, but they don't know how to explain it on why they do some of these things. If they truly wanted to integrate all faiths from all these prophets from around the world, they'd have human sacrifice on a certain Sunday. Because that's huge in a lot of religions. Or they would have whatever traditional religious rite or ritual. But they don't. Because that's not what they're after. They're after the political realm to establish a global control over the minds of people for a given reason. Now, those reasons are probably different according to the meetings you would attend. But we know what the overall reason is, and that is from the scripture that we read this morning, of really understanding what is the true love of God. What is Jesus' really, what, what's his purpose? What is he really about, and why did he come here? And why is there a warning right after that about this is the deceiver and the antichrist, those who preach opposite of this? Well, if we erase that part of it, then all this is going to make sense. So when you talk about deceiver and the antichrist, I'm telling you, they don't know what to do. They will say, I believe all this stuff here, you know, in a very universal way or whatever. But when it talks about the devil... And hell, and a deceiver, and an antichrist, and demons, they don't know what to do. They have no clue what to do with those terms. It doesn't tie into universalism. In fact, it proves the reason for universalism. That's what it does. See, as long as they can't take you to their leader, their system will work. So I learned just in one week of researching a particular family that you never can get to the leader. I don't know if you've noticed this. The Rothschilds are never in the news. Never. They're not in the news. You, you cannot connect that family to a decision. It's layers down. Do you understand me? It's layers so it never can come back to the source. They cannot take you to their leader. That's what makes deception work. They can't take you to their leader so you can deal with their leader. Why do you believe this? Talk to me about how you got to believe in that and you can't do that. These people cannot take you to their leader. They have no leader. They're all leaders. Not realizing there's an Antichrist managing them like puppets. 602-292-2982. I really want to dialogue with you on this because you do have a leader. You can't take me to your leader because there's too many layers between you and your leader. In fact, I don't know anyone who knows where Satan is right now. Those of you have been telling me that he's in the Pope, well, I hope you graduate from grade school, because he's not. The Pope is a puppet, 
as any Protestant pastor who, who is a puppet if they're not teaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Plain and simple, guys. So what is this system? Where is this system? How do they come up with this stuff? Like this one here, God is love universalism. Likewise creates a logical necessity that demands the salvation of all men in order to justify God's love. We have to justify God's love by demanding that he prove it to us? One, he did prove it. And how did he do that exactly? Yeah, he came himself as flesh to dwell among us so we could behold his glory. And then he turned his own son into sin. And I think there's even a verse that say he became the curse on our behalf. So he kind of did prove his, his love, but those who demand that God prove his love are in the wrong. We call that Godship. Organic universalism, that's, that's I'm glad we got silk plants. Because when I eat my green beans, I don't want to be thinking about I'm eating God. I don't want to avoid stepping on ants because it might be my grandma. Reincarnated. You see, that's, that's ridiculous. Why don't you do your own research and see how much reincarnation is infiltrating America. And how we take care of plants more than we do babies. In fact, most universalists slaughter babies through abortion. While they're saved their plant that's in their living room. They'll spend more money on saving their dog than they will two months later aborting a child. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't go together. They say they respect all of humanity. They say that all of humanity is equal. They say that all of humanity is valuable. They say that all humanity is worth loving because the people are love. But then they slaughter millions of people in some fashion or another. And to think that we're going to be on the list to be slaughtered? Because we're so single-minded in our religious views? It doesn't make sense. It proves they're liars. Anyone who will kill a baby and save a dog is a liar. 602 292-2982. Most of you will abort babies and then you'll turn around and spend 10, 15 hours in your garden delicately handling these precious flowers and plants. Whereas on Monday you had an abortion. Your doctrines don't match. They don't line up. Your confession is that you're wrong. They all impose on God's absolute divine freedom to act in the expression of his own being without any criticism of necessity. Each put God in a position of submitting to man. That's the great error. We cannot hold God to his word. Whether they believe it or not, God is a self-existing Autonomous and independent. He is not dependent on any other and certainly not on the human creature that he created. 
Nothing and no one can lay claim on God's mind nor interpret what he meant by what he says. For there is nothing that necessitates his doing what he does any more than anything outside of himself necessitates his being who he is. I mean, it's actually humans trying to define who God is. You see, Satan is a created being from God. And his primary mission is to deceive people into accusing God of the very thing he is suffering with. So Satan wants to be God. So he can pull the strings in governance and in religion. Well, if they were really able to step back and realize there's a puppet master in the world. Everything within a universalist would stand up against Satan. But they don't. They call it conspiracy. Well, that's why it's going to work. This sermon is not going to change the world. Any research I do on, on what's happening in the world and so forth and so on isn't going to change anything. Because it's all ordained within the biblical writings that this has to happen. But I'm just pointing out to you of why and how it happens. And if you're deceived, if I remember correctly, you're kind of blind. You don't get it. You can say to someone that Jesus is God, he's the son of God, and you need to receive Jesus, and he's actually going to come and live inside your body. I mean, honestly, step back from that, you go, that's pretty crazy thinking. And it takes the Holy Spirit to actually show someone that is truth. Or you get labeled, that's crazy talk. Jesus living inside you? God lives inside you? Well, I say to you, universalists, isn't it better than saying you are God? It's even a little more logical to me to have God in you than to say I am God. Because that's what the universalists are saying. I am God. So are you. Out of his own being, he does what he does because he is who he is. What he does is always his own being in action. It's him functioning in his norm. For he does not act in such a way that is separate from his very being. You can't change God. You can't change his agenda. He is who he is and he does what he does because he's God. He says to Moses, I mean, Moses, I don't think he was thinking he was disrespectful for wearing sandals when he was talking to God. And what did God ask him to do? Take your sandals off, Moses. You're on holy ground. I'm present. Why didn't God just kind of show up and show his face and his beautiful gray hair? And Why didn't he do that? If you saw the presence of God, you die. That's the facts. And there was one time that he got to see God's backside. Remember that story? Okay, I'll let you check out my backside. But see, no one got to see the Father before Jesus. Critical doctrines here. His presence, his holiness. And then he makes this statement, I am the I am. This is what he's saying. 
In other words, Moses, don't go telling me who I am. Don't go telling me what I believe. I'm going to be telling you what I believe, which you are going to be required to believe. And that's why I'm going to put it in the form of the law. Because most people won't stop at stop signs unless there's a stop sign. Most people will just run right through that corner. They're not going to use common sense. I need to slow down and check, see if there's a car coming. No, they need a stop sign. Then they stop, maybe. The law has a purpose for people who are unsaved and who need to be told to stop because they start thinking they're the I am. And it has happened, folks. God's actions to save mankind, for example, is not dependent on his love, his doctrines, his covenant agreements, his relational oneness, or the incarnational, which which is Christ becoming flesh, involvement in his son. His actions cannot be legitimately reduced in importance to logic, mechanical act of obeying man. My mind goes to Judgment Day a lot when I do research because I kind of wonder how these little ants with picket signs are going to feel when they are standing in the presence of God. They're little ants with picket signs. We are God. We are God. We, and they're standing with the true God of the universe right there. We are God. We are God. We are God. And Jesus Christ sitting at his right hand. We, Jesus is a... Oh, boy. I think we had this wrong. Every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is God. Every tongue shall confess that. The picket signs the ants are carrying will be put down. They will come to this not so brave realization they were wrong. And we will be seated at the right hand of our husband. Here's how you got it, folks. God, the great I am. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is God. And the Bride of Christ. You say, wow, where's the Holy Spirit? What's the basis of salvation again? The indwelling life of Christ. The Holy Spirit will literally be present in the Bride of Christ. 602-292-2982. Don't tell me that the indwelt teachings of Christendom are not critical on this topic. We are not God. We are the Bride of of Christ. And that puts us in a position of submitting to our husband. Not making him do what we tell him to do. No, we can hold God to his word. He is who he is. Into all Christian theology must commence with who God is, his character, and the recognition of how his very being is expressed 
in his identity and his actions. Universalism may appear to do so as it typically presents its argument by focusing on God's love and pushing, not just communicating and conveying it, pushing the issue of universal grace. If universal grace was truly true, the question I have for you is why do so many people go to hell? Didn't the grace work? Didn't God's love work? Well, that's why we have to erase those doctrines of hell. Because if you don't erase the doctrines of hell and that there's a devil and there's an antichrist and there's demons, if you don't erase those, their theories and theology won't work. There is no such thing as universal grace. Grace is for those who receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and house the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. So this is deceiving, however, for the, the major foundation of universalism is predetermined decree of God's objective to save all men through the pre-inherited deity at birth. It just erases the gospel, completely erases the gospel. This mistaken ideology starts with the predetermined objective that it is then used to define and justify God's character of love and his functional grace, resulting in Godship, man trying to play God. This is our definition of Godship, if you remember. It's a simple term to describe what the Word of God defines as the number one problem in life, and that is a man attempting to function as their own God in the lives of themselves or others, or even telling God what to do. Some of you have gone through those teachings on Godship more than once, but maybe you've never really connected it to the massive infection that is happening to the church today with universalism. It is their goal to tell God what to do. Without question, God is love, as it says in 1 John 4, 8 and 16. That actually was our passage last week. Love describes who God is, not something God has in order to distribute to others. The God who is love preceded the creation of man. And man was complete and fulfilled in his Trinitarian love expression. That's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three are defined as love from eternity past. God did not have to save mankind through Christ in order to prove himself to be love. There is no external logical mandate that necessarily implied that in order to be true to himself, he had to act to save all of the fallen creatures. First of all, they don't even believe in the fallen nature. There's no nature to get crucified. It doesn't exist. This impinges upon the absolute freedom of God to function as the God that he is. And ever so subtle binds God in a logical necessity which defiles human logic, and relegates God as the instrument of their own demise. And they don't get it. 
that they call themselves so logical. They, they use these terms and they're not logical. Their pieces don't even add up. We must be aware of any form of theological reductionism that tends to reduce God to a single or primary attribute, like love, or reconciliation, or peace. The reason why Satan's techniques are working in the world is he is into reductionism. And he hangs on to a singular word like peace. Peace, peace, but there, there is no peace. But it's logical to the people. We need peace. Well, you can't have peace without love, so the Unitarians and the Universalists are going after this love word, not understanding that love includes sending people to hell. That's illogical to them. The God is love form of universalism is the most popular contemporary expression thought. And its thesis finds its way into the arguments, the danger of attempting to define God only in the basis of his love. Or to explain his love in expressions equivalent to human love. That's the error. We have our own definitions of what love is. And our primary definition of love in the world today is to accept all humans and their choices. So we think that's how God has to be. That's not how he is at all. We are to adopt God's definition of love, and we can't adopt God's definition of love unless we adopt God, because God is love. And he made that possible by being adopted. Not adopting Christ, but by being adopted. Then he puts Christ in us, and the Holy Spirit brings God's logic to our minds. So we can make very illogical statements of Christ living in us, and to eternity, they make complete sense. Not to the world. It's all mixed up. Or the power of God's sovereign action is logically connected to the character of divine love, Christian theology can soon go astray in asserting the sovereign omnipotence must always achieve what it desires, even if by obligation or force. That's the key. Obligation or force. So it's the humans obligating God to live up to what he said. Then they force it onto a world that is desperate for love, acceptance, and forgiveness. You better believe it'll be welcomed. Though the desire and the will of God is clearly stated, for God is not willing that any should perish. Instead of abusing this term and turning it into, since God is God, he's not going to let anyone perish. His desire is that Everyone born does not perish. But since he has given us this, this choice to respond to his touch, and he knows who's going to respond and who isn't, it gives the appearance that God is very random in his selection. Divine love must be understood in a relational context. For God's love was eternally expressed in the triune relations of God the Father, God the Son, 
and God the Holy Spirit. They were the first family. Any mechanical understanding of God's love as one-sided force that requires of God to use his power to impose upon man by the will of God does violence to the proper understanding of God's love. Relational love cannot be forced or, or coerced. On a human level, this is called rape. And on a divine level, such as ridiculous coercion of Adamic thought to participate in God's chosen response and willingness of man to be intimately involved with himself, such a personal faith-love relationship is what God intended in order to grant man a genuine freedom of choice, in quotes, that allows a freely chosen relational participant in the inner love relationship of the Trinity. Other words, you can be indwelt by the life of Christ and never here on earth enjoy that personal intimacy. He leaves that in our choosing, as Janie was talking about earlier with that devotional. It is, it is something God says, I want you engaged here. I'm going to provide all the substance, the life in you. The I'm going to put it all together for you. But I want you to interact with my love. So you're going to have to interact with me. So I'll put me and you, through my son, represented by the Holy Spirit, so we can have this intimate relationship. That's what it's about. That's a tough one to understand, maybe even impossible to understand if you do not understand the Holy Spirit has to reveal it. Yes, God desires all men to be saved, but his love and sovereign omnipotence must not be defined, evaluated, or legitimatized by effectual universal qualifications in salvation of men. In other words... Their definition of salvation is much different than God's definition of salvation. That's where the term universal salvation comes in. We don't believe in universal salvation. But we should believe that God desires for all men to receive his son. Since we don't know who's going to say yes and who's going to say no, we need to evangelize the entire world. Nothing weird about it at all. If in any manner we reason God is love because he saves all men, we establish God's being by a practical process that defines God by what he does for man. We weren't created for what he was going to do for us. If you listen to people pray, indwelt or not, just listen to see how much they're ordering God around in their prayers. The name it and claim it and that whole movement that has swept the entire world is telling God what to do. And they're using this faith movement to do it. They're saying, I believe in Jesus' name that this illness is going to be chased away out of your body. and You're, you're telling God what to do. It's a part of universalism. It has entered into our most intimate doctrines within our church instead of appealing to God. 
But see, even in my prayers, I can't pray either way. I have to appeal to what, what's God want in this situation. That's the key. I don't own God. He owes me nothing. So universalism often reacts heatedly to any mention of divine judgment or wrath. Duh. So what they don't realize is that God's love includes divine judgment, divine wrath, and divine condemnation. Now, that's just illogical. How could love include wrath, anger? How could divine love include judgment? I'm going to send you to hell. I understand why it's tough for you universalists to accept that. It'll take the Holy Spirit for you to understand it. God's love and justice are not contradictory. And God's judgment is not just God's forces man to repentance and participation in his universal love. God judges and determines all things in accordance with who he is. His all-glorious character alone brings glory into himself, which is the purpose of all creation. The loving justice of God implies tolerance and rejection of all evil and sin that are not consistent with who he is, his identity. Anything that is not a part of his identity is rejected. That's how you have to remember it. It's not a set of laws that can get printed out. It's anything that does not align itself with who he is, his character, his identity, gets rejected and that is what sin is. God's judgment and the lack of election of those who reject God's definition and function of love and grace do not encompass or reveal the failure on God's part with his divine sovereignty of love. The triperson God of love grieves over those who reject him, not willing that any should perish. If you remember that quote from the word, but you choose to reject God's love. That's not God's problem. But if you have a different definition of love, you have to change God in order to change his views so you can have a God of universal love. He's not going to submit to you. Here's our identity statement for today. God's love is not prescribed or contained in a decreed plan for the final universe, universal destiny of mankind. Rather, God's love is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and the gracious opportunity all men have to participate in the love life of the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Universalism tends to defy human reason creating a God of human deduction that is prescribed by logical necessities rather than worshiping the God of the universe who has revealed his love in Jesus Christ and is desirous of a love relationship with those who are receptive to his life of faith and willing to allow him to become the basis of their identity and function. God rejects anything that is not a part of his identity. All are rejected. Because we fell from that relationship, got adopted under the father of lies. 
There had to be a way provided to reconnect us back to the original father. That was through Jesus Christ. So God's identity was put into Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ became his identity. Then there had to be something set up where we could get Jesus Christ inside of his bride. And that's what the whole pathway of the cross was all about. Now when someone becomes born again, they receive the Holy Spirit, which is the outward power and identity representative of Christ. So now that you're born again, indwelt by Jesus Christ, you have the identity of Jesus Christ inside your mortal being. Who has the identity of God the Father. And since God rejects anything that is not a part of his identity, having your identity in Christ and understanding your identity in Christ is everything in preaching the gospel. I cannot make it any more simple than that. He made it that simple for us. It's all about identity. Identity does matter. So people who are constantly rattling off the identity of the Antichrist, as we read this morning, are confessing something to me. It's what Jane shared in her testimony. Can you really have the Holy Spirit and, and then confessing the identity of the enemy all day long? Can you really have that? It's different choosing the identity of Satan from time to time versus confessing it. So when you come up against someone who's constantly fighting you on the identity truths, that's a confession. But when you hear the true doctrines of the triunity of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're going to see why they're doing what they're doing. And keep in mind, if you ever bump into a universalist, they're scared to death. They have no clue how to handle these questions. It's better that they don't have to answer questions. So they are trained to respond to you, it's okay that you believe that. And you go, no, I don't, I don't want to be okayed by you. I want you to answer my questions. No, don't force your religion on me. Don't force your religious beliefs on me. And if you stay on them with that, you're going to be the cursed one. It is my belief, after all these weeks of studying this topic, that to lead a true universalist to Christ is next to impossible. There is no sharp edge that exists in their dialogues anymore. My same frustration of dealing with Catholics for many years and seeing very few conversions is nothing compared to my frustration in dealing with the Universalist. Because anytime you get sharp and right to the point, it's dismissal. You believe what you want to believe. And I'll believe what I want to believe. It's the basis of what they do. Well, what can you do with that? And if I looked at him and said, well, you're going to go to hell. And I don't want you to go to hell. Oh, another right-winged faith person. You really need to come over to our side. And they do see it as sides, by the way. 
They are not true universalists. True universalists would accept us. You with me? <laughs> if you listen carefully, they're very divisive. They are creating sides. They are not true universalists, if that even exists. Next week, Universalism Part 4, which we're going to talk about anthropology of man, the doctrines of man. That'll give us even a clearer understanding of what it is they believe. From now on, from this day forward, uh, for those of you who are printing the PDF, you're going to notice there's a special slide, which is here that has the uh, research material that I've been digging stuff from, okay? So people are typically researchers. They like to dig into that stuff themselves. So I realize, okay, we got to provide some of these resources. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.